Welcome to the Knox Podcast, featuring a sermon from the Knox Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Kenmore, New York. For more information about Knox Church, visit our website at knoxepc.com or email us at office at knoxepc.com. To request prayer, send an email to pastor at knoxepc.com. Open your Bibles with me today. We're going to be reading James 1, um, 3, verses 1 through 12. If we're okay, on page 1173 in your pew Bibles, I'll give you a second to find that. James 3, 1 through 12. We will be standing as we receive God's holy word this morning. James 3, 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, They are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures are being tamed. They have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is God's word to us. May be a blessing to your ears today. Please have a seat. Words matter. In the very third verse of the entire Bible, the words of God created the universe out of nothing. By God's words, he fashioned human beings out of his own likeness. His words, we are told, are pure. They are wonderful to behold. They are useful for instruction. They are salvation for the lost. They are our hope for a future. God's words. Our words? Our words are important too, but so often they are out of control. I think we can all remember times when hurtful things were said to us and we remember them in crystal clarity. There are also those times that we say things that we wish instantly we could take back those words and eat them as if we had never said them before. When I was a teenager, many times I had it out with my parents in yelling matches. And one day, I I remember that it was particularly bad, and I was very frustrated, and I was angry, and we were in the kitchen, and I was screaming at my parents, and I said, 
Now I know what it's like to have dysfunctional parents. And I stormed out of the room. And the legend of the Olivetti family goes, I, first of all, I think I learned the word dysfunctional the week before. I was just <laughs> looking for a reason to use it. But the legend of our family goes that when I left the room in anger, having said hurtful things, my dad put his hand, head in his hands and he said, we didn't used to be dysfunctional before he showed up. <laughs> Words matter, don't they? I've said before that the most false statement I've ever heard in my life is sticks and stones break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's not true. Our words matter. The Apostle James knows this. And now, in this passage, as he goes into chapter 3, he pivots to looking at our words and why they matter. The power behind our words. And why our speech is often out of control. Well, speaking of harsh words, we all know that probably the worst job to ever get if you never want to be insulted is the president. I don't care what, who it is, they're going to get insulted by half the country. And it was always the case. One, one president who had it worse than almost anybody else, believe it or not, was Abraham Lincoln. People hated him. And not only just his political opponents, people on his staff would insult him. His secretary of war, Edward Stanton, famously was always butting heads with Abraham Lincoln. And one day, Abraham Lincoln, his, one of his aides came to him like a little kid to tattle on Edward Stanton and said, President Lincoln, you'll never believe what he said about you. He said, you were the original gorilla. This was 1860, so I'm just going to assume that that was a serious thing, but the original gorilla, that was, that was pretty harsh. And to that, the president responded to the aide. He said, well, now, now, Stanton is entitled to his own opinion. But then Lincoln got a twinkle in his eye, and he said, well, what concerns me is that Stanton is usually right. We look at stories like that. We see how Abraham Lincoln had this great response to harsh words, and we think, man, I want to aspire to be like that. I want to be that person who just always has the best comeback for everything, that knows the right things to say at all times. It's just always gentle, always perfect. And we think that there's this path to taming the tongue, that if we're just diligent enough, we can find that path. If we know the right words to say, when to say them, when not to say them, our life is just going to be immeasurably better. Well, James certainly understands how important it is to tame the tongue. And he's been talking about it as we've been studying through this epistle. Back in chapter 1, you'll remember that he says this. He said this, um, that, sorry, I, I went right ahead. Um, in verse 2 of today's passage, he makes a very profoundly deep observation when he says anybody who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. Anybody who's never at fault in what they say is perfect, they're able to keep their whole body in check. So what he's saying is this. If you're able to have the will and the discipline to perfectly control your words, everything else is small fry. You'll be able to control and master everything in your life if you can just handle this one area. And for a split second, when we read that verse, we feel inspired. I can do that. 
maybe not today, but I can get there. I can get to a point in my life that through a sheer force of will, through harsh discipline, through, I don't know, a training program, something, a TED Talk, I don't know, I'll be able to perfectly master my words and then mastery over everything else. And as I was just saying, James has been impressing upon us in this whole epistle, it's so important for us to master our words. Back in chapter 1, he said, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves. In chapter 2, we looked at how he was rebuking churchgoers who were offering empty blessings and empty statements of faith, that they were just running their mouths with nothing to back it up. And now, in the opening verses of chapter 3, he tells us that the biggest talkers of the church, the pastors, the teachers, we will be judged more strictly for our words. We hated this verse in seminary, by the way. Wish God hadn't written that, but that's a, it's a good thing. For James, it's not that our words should be tamed. He says they must be tamed. Our words must be tamed. And again, in a moment of being inspired by this passage, by how strongly he words this, we may find ourselves resolving to do just that, that we're going to get up out of the, the pews today, we're going to walk out that door, and this week will be different. Ever done that? Say, today is going to be different. I'm going to do things good today. You think tomorrow I'm going to be more kind in how I speak. I'm going to cut out those rough words that kind of creep into my vocabulary every now and then. I'm only going to say things that build people up and never say anything for the rest of my life that will possibly tear somebody down. Not another angry word will ever slip out of my mouth. I will, nobody will ever be able to say they complain because I will never complain ever again. I will be the master James wants me to be because he says we must master. Well, to that kind of sentiment, James has one reply, and it's right there at the start of verse 2. It's three words. We all stumble. Hold on to that phrase as he leads us forward today. We all stumble. Well, by now, we, we've come to realize, studying this book, that James loves himself a good mental image, a good metaphor. He likes to sprinkle them in. Well, now it's like the dam has, has broken. And there's a flood that's coming our way. And he is just going to go all out in this chapter, giving us illustration after illustration after illustration. I think he just is hoping. It's like the shotgun effect. He's hoping that if he gets enough out there, something's going to stick with you. Something's going to stick in your mind, and it's going to make sense. So in verses 3 and 4, he urges us. He says, I want you to think of the tongue two different things. As, a, as the bit in the mouth of a horse and as the rudder steering a ship. A small thing that controls a big thing. And when I read this, my mind instantly went back several years to when I was on a mission trip, and we were clearing out some brush around a horse camp. It was a, a horse camp ministry, so we were helping him out by clearing the brush away. And as I was working one day, I looked up and I saw that the gate had been left open to the corral. And a horse started wandering out. And I went, ah, 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 that's not a good thing, right? I thought that this horse was going to make a bolt for freedom. And the horse went like five steps and just started eating grass. But I was terrified because, you know, the, the owner of the ranch wasn't around and I had to go do something as the only adult there. 
So I went up, and my whole plan, having never really worked with horses, was to go shoo, shoo, back into the, back into the corral. And that, that plan evaporated out of my mind when I got really close to the horse. Because I don't know if you know this, but horses are big. They're really big. And when you've not really been very close to a horse in your life and you get right up to it, you start noticing some things. You notice how big their mouth is and how they got those teeth right. And you think, wow, what could that if they want to chomp on me? You look at their legs and their hooves. And you think, man, if that thing kicks at me, I'm in serious pain. And so I didn't know what to do. I was like standing there in front of this horse who couldn't care less that I was there. And I was like, back, boy, back. And he just kept chewing. And that was when one of my teenagers came to the rescue. She had worked with horses for a long time. She was probably 85 pounds sopping wet. Tiny little girl. And she knew exactly what to do because she walked right up, right past me. Pastor Justin, get out of the way. She grabs the bridle and with a bit in the horse's mouth and firmly, without hesitation, turned the horse right around and led him right back into the corral. 85-pound girl led this 550-pound horse like it was the meekest thing in the face of the earth. Because of why? She knew that little bit, it would follow it wherever it was led. A little bit. Well, James is saying this about the tongue, and we can instantly grasp what he's saying. He says, your tongue isn't the biggest part of your body. It's not even the biggest muscle, right? You have, you have bigger muscles here and here. Your heart works harder as a muscle, but this strong muscle, this little muscle that's in your mouth has probably more power than the rest of your body. It has such incredible power, and it steers you. He's not saying in this passage, this verse, that it controls other people. He says, this tongue that's in your mouth controls you. Your words control you, control your actions. Well, how do you feel about that image? When you look at a horse being led around by that tiny little bit, and James is saying, and you're just like that, that little thing in your mouth, and it leads you wherever it wants to go. How do you feel about that? I don't like that image at all. That makes me very uncomfortable. Well, as we're, as we're being uncomfortable, then James goes on to another metaphor in verse 5, and he says not only does our tongue control us, but he says it spreads fire all around us like a spark setting off a blaze. And this, I think, is something very relatable because we see this every single year on the news. Because every year, what happens in the West? Wildfires start. Massive, multi-million acre wildfires spreading all over the place. And you see pictures of flames and property going up and people fleeing in front of it. And invariably, a lot of these news stories will come back and say, but this whole flame started, this whole fire started because somebody dropped a cigarette on the ground, because somebody left a campfire untended, because a lightning hit a tree. One spark spread all this fire. And this is what James is saying about us. And we'll, we'll respond and go, James, thanks for the warning. I really appreciate that. I hear what you're saying. I'm going to try extra hard to be good with my words this week. Smokey the bear told me that only I can prevent forest fires. And now you're telling me that I can, only I can prevent the fires of, that my words can set. So I'm going to be really responsible 
here, James. James ignores you. And then he goes on in verses 7 and 8. And here he drops the anvil. He says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures have been tamed and are continuing to be tamed by man. But what? No man can tame the tongue. We can tame Shamu. We can tame elephants. We can't tame this thing right here. He says, it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. What is the poison of our words? There's no end to it. Gossip, innuendo, crude comments, flattery, criticism, blasphemy, lies, yelling, gaslighting, demeaning, disrespecting. Our words, powerful words, are often poisonous words. And James implants in his mind through this image here of a, a cranky, restless snake with fangs that are dripping with poison, with a tail that is twitching angrily, with a, with a posture that you know is just ready to lash out and bite at a minute's notice. And then he points at all of us and he says, and we have it in our mouths at all times. I'm even less comfortable with this than I was with the bit in the mouth of the horse. I feel lost. We're told, on one hand, we must control our tongues or else it will control us and set fires. And then he says, but you can't. You can't control your tongue. You can't tame it. It is impossible for any living human being to do this. No human being can tame the tongue. Not you, not me, not the most determined guru who goes up to a monastery in the mountains to seclude himself for dozens of years to master the art of the tongue. It can't be done. Why? Well, let's go back to what Jesus says about this. When Jesus was talking with the Pharisees and rebuking them, he said back in Matthew 12 that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And what is our heart? The core of who we are is sinful. And out of the overflow of our sinful heart, our words come out. And they become sinful words. And out of the, our sinful words come sinful actions. It just cascades. Follow the chain of logic. Sinful heart, sinful speech, sinful actions. And because you can't change your heart... You can't change and control and tame your words. Well, as we process that piece of great news, thank you, James, he piles it on even more in verse 9. He says that there's something even worse than our words do. And you're thinking at this point, what could be worse? My words are controlling me. My words are hurting other people. Well, in verse 9, he says that our words dishonor God. He says, we may praise God on a Sunday. We're singing these words. We're reading. We're praying together. And then come Monday, we're back to yelling and cursing and saying all the things we really, really shouldn't. Well, if we're not already exhausted with James's metaphors, I've lost count here. He adds three more in rapid succession. He says, I want you to imagine a spring flowing with water, but, but it's producing both fresh water and salt water at the same time. 
says, well, also I want you to picture a fig tree that has olives on its branches or a grapevine that produces figs. He says, well, all these are ridiculous impossibilities. They're, they're oxymorons. They can't exist. But he says, that's the hypocrisy of the two-tongued Christian. That our words, at best, as Christians, are inconsistent. And I hate things that are inconsistent. I, that drives me nuts. If I go to a restaurant, I order a really good meal, and I go, wow, this is really great. Next time I come here, I'm going to order the same thing. And if the next time I come, and that meal comes, and it's just horrible, I'm going to go complain to the manager. I expect consistency. When things are inconsistent, I complain. Well, James is complaining to us. He says right here, after he points this out, this hypocrisy, how we praise God one day and the next breath we're, we're cursing man, he says, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. This isn't the state of things. This isn't how we were created to be. This isn't how it should be. And that should prompt us to say in return, well then James, what should be? What should be? And then James does something that drives every single pastor I know absolutely crazy. He brings up a situation and then he leaves it unresolved. He doesn't tidy it up for us. Us pastors, we like tidy conclusions. I want to be able to hand you, he's raised this issue, and I want to be able to hand you a conclusion to it. But he doesn't do it. Why? Because he knows, as many teachers know, that if they raise a problem to you, but you know in the next breath they're going to solve it, you're never really going to pay attention to the problem. That they're going to give you the solution, so I'm just going to wait, and they'll give me the solution, and now I'm going to go on with my life. Instead, he's employing a teaching tactic that Jesus often employed, which was to raise a situation, raise a question, raise your awareness of something, bring us into tension, and then leave us there so that we can meditate upon it, so that we can really absorb it, we can stew in it, as my mom would often say. You stew in this issue. He wants you to think about the power of your words. He wants you to think about how, on one hand, you must control your words, and on the other hand, you can't. He wants it to really sink in deep. So I'm going to go against all my training as a preacher today and do the same. If he wants us to meditate upon this, and not today, but he will give us a conclusion to it, I'm going to leave it here and let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I look forward to the day when we are in glory and there will never be a moment after that that our words will be imperfect. That will be a day where we will just praise you We'll talk always in a good and pure way. But Lord, right now, today, we know how bad our words are. We can look back this past week, Lord, and there are so many things we could confess to you. Angry, bitter words, ways that we snapped at other people, ways that we've been less than kind, less than charitable. Lord, all of us, our tongues are restless and full of deadly poison. And Lord, we don't know the answer to this right now, but we know we need you. Lord, we just ask that you would speak to us through this passage in James. That you would convict us 
of the sins of our mouth and bring us to the cross. And all God's people said, Amen. To reach out to Pastor Justin, email him at pastor at knoxepc.com. Our mailing address is Knox Church, 2595 Elmwood Avenue, Kenmore, New York, 14217. Join us for worship Sundays at 10.30 a.m., either at Knox Church or on our live stream at facebook.com forward slash KnoxEPC. Past sermons can be found at KnoxEPC.com forward slash sermons. Thank you for listening.